0: Thank you for listening in to the King's Chapel podcast. We hope this message is a blessing to you. Please stay tuned after the message for more information about King's Chapel. Well, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 together, 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, We'll be picking up in a few weeks with our uh, Matthew series again, but we're just uh, taking a little break from that um, probably until... February. And so, this morning, the, the, our, our teaching is titled this, The Better Question. The Better Question. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, is going to answer this question of the Corinthians, what about, here we go, food offered to idols. Now, I know how you are. You got up this morning and you said, I can't wait to go to church I'm going to go there, we're going to praise and worship and meet with God, and I hope that when it comes time to the teaching, that Matt will deal with the subject of food offered to idols, because that has been driving me crazy all week. I'm in these situations where I just don't know what to do. I mean, I have this chance to eat this food, and it's offered to an idol, and I don't know what to do it, and I'm just, I'm conflicted, and I go online, and it gets even worse, because the answers aren't very helpful, and so I really wish we could get some clarity on food offered to idols. That's right. <laughs> See, the more, the more cynical version of that whole thing was some of you, you know, you got out of the car this morning and, or got up this morning and it was cold and, you know, maybe there was going to be some bad weather and you're like, I don't know if I should go to church or not. I'm not sure if I could, you know, maybe I should just uh, stay home and stay safe. And, and, uh, and then you think, well, I'll go ahead and go. And then you get here and this, this is the topic today. And you're like, I should have just stayed home. Should have just, uh, I, God, God has nothing for me today. Um... Food offered to idols. So this whole question of food sacrificed to idols, we're going to be in looking at 1 Corinthians chapter um, 10. But this whole question, what's funny is that Paul, Paul takes three chapters to answer this question. It starts all the way in eight. Eight, nine, and 10 uh, are this long answer about food sacrificed to idols. So it starts back in chapter eight, verse number one, verse number one where he says, because apparently he had, the Corinthians had written Paul some sort of letter. And so the first half of 1 Corinthians, Paul is, he's saying what he wants to say. He's He's got some things to say, because Corinth um, and the church of Corinth had they had issues. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a bad place. They were struggling on, on what it meant to be a Christian and how to live it out. And so Paul had some things that he had to get off his chest. And then the second half of the letter, it, it appears that, that he is addressing their questions um, one by one as, as it goes through. One had to do with, with marriage and sex within marriage. Um, one had to do with food sacrifice to idols. There were some others. So so at the beginning of chapter 8, he turns to their question, now concerning food offered to idols. And now he's going to start his answer. And what we're going to look at today is we'll look at it in just an overview of the big picture, but we're going to really dive into the conclusion of this matter. So here's his answer. We know that, and quoting from them, all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you kind of look between the lines here, what seems like has happened is that they have written Paul a letter, and they've asked him about this issue of food sacrifice to idols, and they have probably given Paul a very long, detailed explanation as to their position, why they presumably think it's Okay, and they, they probably cited chapter and verse and logic and all of these things, trying to because Paul, we, us Corinthians, just like you, we all possess knowledge. Paul, you're not, yeah, you're an apostle and all, but all, all of us have knowledge, and so you know we're gonna we're gonna push back on this issue a little bit because we possess knowledge. As well. So it would seem like that they had written Paul this, this um, defense of their position, very well reasoned, very well thought out, very well argued. So what does Paul do? He says this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What happens? If anyone imagines that he knows something, He does not yet know as he ought to know. That's a very long saying, long way to say, if you think you're smart, you're probably not as smart as you think you are, right? That's what he's getting at here. If you think you have knowledge, if you think you're somebody, if you think you are the smartest guy in the room, you are the dumbest guy in the room. That's what he's saying. Next. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. What's Paul doing here? Paul is reframing the question away from a knowledge answer and toward a love answer. Paul, we've been thinking about this food sacrifice to idols thing and and, and we figured something out. Let me explain to you what we figured out. Let's write you a letter and tell you, let's let's list it by bullet points. We, We figured this out. And Paul says, If this is an issue of figuring it out, you've missed it. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so the answer that Paul gives them is not going to be arguing with them point by point with their knowledge. He is going to turn them to a love answer. But here's what I love about Paul. But before he does that, look at it. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that. So he, he addresses their, their knowledge questions first uh, before he gets to his real question. And, and he says, we know basically his point is that we all know that these idols aren't really gods. There's only one God. This is chapter 8. There's only one God. And so when you, when you eat food sacrificed to idols, um, you're not really, you're not really doing anything that matters because these are just statues and gold. And the bigger thing that we look at this morning is that Paul is dealing with something that in, in theological circles they would call a diaphora. I know you're not looking at it for in theological circles, but maybe, maybe you're reading, maybe you find something. Here's the term. And it means this, worship practices or human traditions which are neither commanded nor forbidden in God's Word. Essentially, it means this, Non-essentials. Ah, now that's a subject I can get behind. Those are the questions that I have. What do we do with the things in our Christian faith which the Bible neither explicitly affirms or denies? What do we do about things that are matters of conscience, not of the written word? What do you do about the things that Christians who love God and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died for our sins, resurrected, and coming again, but there are these peripheral uh, issues. What do we do with those? How do we make sense of them? How do we come to any sort of conclusion? For the Corinthians, it was knowledge. We got to figure this thing out. We've got to drill down, we've got to make a pros and a cons list, we've got to do all this and come to a conclusion. Paul, however, when it comes to matters of non-essentials, reframes it in another way. Now, here's how we typically answer this question about non-essentials, right? We ask this question, what's wrong with it, right? I remember way back in in my my teenage years, back when the cool thing, um, not cool thing, but the thing that you would do is you'd have a, you know, a a powerful... Youth service, and, and we would get convicted, and then everybody would bring all of their, when I was really young, their cassette tapes, right, and throw them away, and then later it was CDs. Um, it's kind of hard to do that now when all music is streamed. Um, there's not an actual physical thing. I'm going to delete my playlist. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how that works um, on Spotify or whatever you listen to music on. But that was, and so that was always a big debate. What about secular music? Is secular music a sin, or is it okay? And, it would, and somebody would, and they would always ask this question, right? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with secular music? What's wrong? And, and you could fill this in with all kinds of non-essentials. This is the question that we usually ask. And it's one of those things that, um, as, a, as a culture, we're trying to grapple with. Uh, I've seen some of these posted things online as far as pastors go. It's like, what do you do if you live in Colorado or one of these many other states that have now legalized marijuana? What do you do? do? Is it, is it, can you, you do it now that it's illegal or now that it's legal? Can you not do it because of the harm on the body? I mean, but, but how do you? And, and if, you, if you forbid it, on what grounds? I mean, before it used to be real easy. You know, it's illegal. Obey the laws of the land. But now you've got to be… The, the knowledge issue has shifted and changed, and it's more difficult and more nuanced. Just don't smoke marijuana. Plus, it's still… It's still illegal in Missouri, but the question—the question that people ask—is this: when it comes to you know marijuana, for instance, what's wrong with it? Right? Let's legalize it. What's what's wrong with it? Probably shouldn't have went down that marijuana thing, by the way, but you know, (laughs) didn't come out like I had it in my mind. This morning, though, Paul points us to a better question—a better question than what's wrong with it. What is that better question? Let's look. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, picking up at verse number 23. So this is the conclusion, all the way through chapter 8, all the way through chapter 9. Chapter 9 is basically Paul's um, defense of his apostolic ministry that he says, he says, all the time I give up my rights as an apostle, the things that I could demand of people, I give them up for the sake of the gospel. That's what all of chapter 9 is about. So chapter 10, verse number 23, says this. And again, apparently quoting from their their statement, their document. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So what does Paul mean here when he says all things are lawful? He means this. It's a a Corinthian aphorism expressing their freedom in Christ. Right? Paul comes in and, and, and preaches to them a message. You are free. You are free from the law. Those who have died with Christ are free from the law. No more food laws. No more circumcision laws. No more Sabbath laws. No more all of these laws. We are free in Christ. We don't carry around a yoke of religious bondage. Are you grateful for that? Yes. However, the Corinthian Christians... They knew the truth, but applied it wrongly. See, when they said all things are lawful, Paul didn't say, "Ah, ah, ah. You're wrong. They're free in Christ. There's a freedom from religious bondage. But they were applying it to their life in a wrong way. All things are lawful, and so they were committing sexual immorality. All things are lawful, so when they would gather around the Lord's table, some were gluttons and some went without. All things are lawful, and so they would, they would eat whatever they want, no matter how it affected anybody else. They knew the truth, but their application of the truth was hurtful. next. So here's Paul's Here's his point. All things are lawful. Let no one seek his own good. but the good of his neighbor. Really, Paul, this is your answer to food sacrifice to idols? Did you not see our bullet point list that we gave you, how we argued the details and the merits of the matter? Your answer to this is your neighbor? You see, love always makes us look outward. Paul began this by reframing the discussion away from knowledge and toward love. And love is inherently an outward act. How I treat you. How I treat people outside the church. How I treat my neighbor. How I treat God. And they're looking at saying, what's wrong with it? And what does that do? That looks inward. How does this affect me how can food sacrifice to idols affect me? And Paul turns the question around. The better question is this, how can I love? When it comes to non-essentials, when it comes to things that, the, that are, are, are not the core of the Christian faith, things that are on the periphery, the question is not what's wrong with it, which is what we want to ask. The question is, how can I love through this? In, in this, when it comes to food sacrifice to idols, how can I love in this space? Next. So verse 25. So Paul's now giving them the answer. He's taking him three chapters, but he's getting to it. It's a man that I like, by the way. "'Eat whatever is sold in the meat market "'without raising any question of conscience.'" All right, any question on the ground of conscience. "'For,' and now he's quoting from the Psalms, he's giving them, this is, his, this is his rationale. So what's he telling them? "'Eat whatever you want. "'Doesn't matter. "'For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. "'Eat whatever you want, because everything belongs to God, "'and even, the, even if it was sacrificed to an idol, "'it still belongs to God, and just go and eat.'" So here's Paul's answer. If it's you by yourself, eat away. Enjoy. Next, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. So what does this mean? He's saying that you with an unbeliever who does not make, an, make the food an issue, eat away. Yum. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. So you, with an unbeliever who makes the food an issue, don't eat. Now, isn't this confusing? Don't we like black and white answers? And when it comes to issues that are central to the gospel, we stand strong and firm on the scriptures. But when it comes to the non-essentials, Paul does something that we, uses a term that we are uncomfortable with. Situational ethics, I've been told my whole life that situational ethics is bad, right? There is black and white, there is right and wrong, there are no compromise, no, no questions. Situational ethics is no ethics at all. And yet Paul says, okay, so let's break this down real precisely here. If it's just you, go ahead and eat it. If it's with an unbeliever and they don't make a big deal about it, go ahead and eat it. If it's an unbeliever who tells you and they're making an issue of it, then don't eat it because, because why? For their benefit. And, what did it say? For their conscience. Paul is turning the question. He doesn't, he doesn't care so much of the scriptural arguments to it. The question is this. How do you love through it? How do you put the other person first in it? And when it comes to non-essentials, that's our biggest guide. How does this affect other people? Paul answers the same question again, if you know First Corinthians very well, in chapter 6. His answer there is, everything is lawful, but, but I will not be mastered by anything. That's the other side of the, own, the, of the coin to this, of how it affects us. I will not be mastered by anything. Study that on your own. You're big boys and girls, you can do that. But he, he, he parses this based on the situation And when it comes to non-essentials, we have to find ourselves in this uncomfortable place of, it depends. And we don't like those answers. We don't like, what does wisdom dictate? What does love dictate? But this is the exact answer that Paul gives. It depends on how it affects the other people. Next. Next because he had just said, not for my conscience, but for theirs. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? So Paul says, I'm not, I'm not saying don't eat because I'm going to feel my conscience is going to be wounded or stricken, or, but because of theirs, I'm watching out for theirs. Because if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced for that for which I give thanks? Paul said, I, if you're by yourself, no big deal, eat it. My conscience is clear, I'm watching out for theirs. I'm not doing that, beca- I'm not, not eating in their presence because if I do, I feel like I've done something wrong. No, I'm guarding their conscience. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, this is what brings in every other non-essential, besides food sacrifice to idols. Paul starts here with eating and drinking, and then he says, whatever you do, this is how we can apply it now to Big umbrella. Whatever you do, what's what's the goal? Do all to the glory of God. You see, when you act in another's interest, which I think would say is the definition of love, you are living to the glory of God. When I say I put your interest ahead of mine, when I do this, not because of how it affects me, but because of how it affects you, that is living to the glory of God. I'm not doing it for myself, for my own glory, for my own sake. This is what it means. Verse 32. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone. So let's look here. So Jews, these are, these are the, the Jewish Jewish, uh, Jewish people who are not members of the church. Greeks would be the Gentiles and the church of God would be those Jews or Greeks inside the church. So he's, again, he's painting a big umbrella here. He's not just saying, how does this affect the, uh, our fellowship inside the church? He's not just saying the, you know, with your own ethnicity or with your own people or with your own culture. He's, he's putting a big umbrella over this. I try to please, this is a big statement, right? I try to please everyone in everything I do. Why? Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, and that they may be saved. All of this comes down to a salvation issue. May we never ever, ever, ever use our freedom in Christ, our freedom in the non-essentials, in a way that threatens the salvation of someone else. Preeminent scholar Gordon Fee says it this way, "'To give offense, therefore, does not so much mean to hurt someone's feelings,' as to behave in such a way as to prevent someone else from hearing the gospel or to alienate someone who is already a brother or a sister. This is what Paul's talking about. And you can take these verses and you, could, you can put yourself in such a box that you never do anything, because I'm trying to please everybody and everything that I do, and it's impossible, right? The point here is, to, is not so that nobody is ever offended or nobody ever disagrees or nobody ever, ever feelings are ever hurt. That's... As much as we all wish that was possible, that's not, that's not a reality. That cannot happen. But Paul is framing this issue in terms of the gospel itself and the salvation of people. That he's not going to let, let's look at the last verse here. Nope, go back. Is there not one after that? Okay. Sorry, I thought there was one more. He is not going to let his eating or drinking get in the way of someone else's salvation. And you and I, when it comes to the issue of non-essentials, our first question is this, how do I love? How do I love with this? How do I love through it? How do I care about the soul of someone else and their receptivity to the gospel? How do I live in such a way as to not cause someone else to stumble and fall and leave Jesus. And Paul says, if that that was the case, I would never eat meat again. This is what he says in another part of this whole thing. I'll never eat meat again if it's going to cause somebody to, to walk away from the gospel. So the question is not what's wrong with it. The question is, how can I love in it? Thanks again for checking out this week's message. If you are interested in finding out more about King's Chapel, please visit our website at kingschapel.church. There you can find service times and more ways to connect with us. You can also follow us on social media at kingschapelsgf. We look forward to seeing you soon.